All right, I invite you this morning to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians. The book of 2 Corinthians, and we're going to be in chapter 1. Look at a few verses this morning talking about a very important uh, truth about our great and mighty God. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. The Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy our brother, unto the church of God which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in all Achaia, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. As we look at this passage, we're going to predominantly look in verse 3, which re- refers to God as the Father of mercies. As I was thinking even today about uh, this passage here, and uh, one thing that I am in awe of when we look at who God is, but uh, in, I think a lot of times our concept of God as our Father, a lot of times we look through the lens of our own experience having an earthly father. And I understand that not everyone's uh, growing up or, or father figure was always pleasant. I understand that. Uh, but in an ideal sense, according to God's plan, I think that a father's presence can bring assurance, bring care, and bring comfort. I'm very thankful for my father, Roger Broughton, who is uh, up in Pine River, Minnesota this morning preaching. And uh, hope he's doing a good job. I'll check in with him later today. But anyways, uh, I'm very thankful for my father, for his presence with me and my brothers, and um, the godly influence he has been. Uh, He has brought uh, some security, I would say, to our family, as he can. My father, a perfect man, no, not by any means. But nonetheless, I really uh, thank thank God for the, the influence that my father has had. I also thank for other people who have been a sense a father figure to me uh, when we were uh, living overseas, for example, in Israel for many years. Um, I didn't always have access to my earthly father, obviously not physically. And then we tried maybe once a week to try to call overseas, you know, to connect with that. But there were people in my life there. I'm thinking of my my I call him my Israeli dad. David, David Yermiao was his name, or David Jeremiah. That's the translation of it. Not the preacher David Jeremiah, but that, that was his name, okay? And uh, an Israeli guy, Kurdish uh, upbringing, but uh, he was a tremendous influence, a kind man, a humble man, and one that I would often go and have fellowship with. Um, to my knowledge, he was never a believer. He passed away a couple years ago, witnessed to him many, many times. But nonetheless, I'm very thankful for the influence he had in my life. And I'm sure there's probably men in your life who have either been your own father, grandfather, or maybe that person who stepped in as a father for you. And truly, we can be thankful for that. But I think, you know, as children are, uh, when we go through tough times in life, or even things are scared of the dark, or scared of what's around the corner, things like that, or things under our bed, you know, all those childhood uh, uh, fears that we have that sometimes when you call out for mom and dad sometimes the, the father's presence makes all the difference of how you sleep that night right and so I, I'm very thankful again for my earthly father but more importantly that I can rest well at night knowing that my father 
is with me. He never leaves me nor forsakes me. And I can rest in that. But as we look at God as our Father, verse 3, really, this is something that's been on my mind for actually several weeks and can't really escape this fact that God, our Father, is really the Father of mercies in verse 3. And so we're going to talk really about two aspects of of that today, exactly who our God is. And this is what I want us to walk away from, that we will, number one, fall in love with our Father and we would grasp His mercies as they fall to us. And that as we receive His mercies, uh, a product of that is His comfort and uh, in just a tremendous truth that God is there for us. And I pray that this message will be a blessing as it has been to me. As we look at here in verse 3, it says here, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The, the way it starts out here, after Paul gives his introduction to the Corinthians, and we have, by the way, we have two epistles uh, to the Corinthians, first and second, but actually Paul wrote three letters altogether, actually possibly four, depending on who would commentary you read. But nonetheless, Paul wrote a lot to this church, and this is a church that had a lot of issues. Uh, we won't belabor the point there, but put it this way, Paul kind of need to check with them rather often to make sure that they were doing what God wants to do and honoring them that way, giving all glory to God. But as he writes this letter, he writes here in the first several verses here of, actually the first chapter really of his, um, the afflictions that he has suffered, the, tri- the tribulation that he has suffered. And actually, if you want to say this, that the book of Second Corinthians itself is probably the most uh, biographical uh, book that Paul wrote. Uh, you write, you read really throughout the whole epistle, several times he mentions his own dealings of life and how he has struggled and the afflictions that he's faced and how God's mercy and grace and presence was there uh, pretty much at every turn for him. And so th- there's some great value in, in something that we can really look forward to as we read through this epistle. But he starts out here of his, really, our relationship with God. And he starts out, blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as he says here, the blessed be God has really the, it's really a, an expression of praise. It says, may the Father of mercies really, uh, in its general sense, be praised, be blessed. And this is an expression of thanksgiving. I think it echoes what the psalmist says in Psalm 145, verses 8 through 10. It says, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all and is Tender mercies are over all his works. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. And when you think about the mercies of God that you have experienced in your own life, obviously through our own salvation, obviously, and many other blessings that come from it, our reaction should be to bless God and to praise him for the greatness that he is, the great God that he is. So we see here that the Father of mercies is to be praised, but we also also see here that that He is the Father of mercies, and the word Father here, the Father of mercies, is really uh, a, a Hebraic expression, a Hebrew expression, and uh, to be noted as uh, someone who you know, uh, who is, uh, for example, the the father of automobiles. Who would you say? Henry Ford. There we go. So it's kind of a title. It doesn't mean that he physically was a father of a car. That would be biologically impossible. However, these days some people might flout it. Anyway, that's a nice. <laughs> Nonetheless, but when you put it, it's kind of like a representation. Who is the, the father of fishing, if you will, in the state of Minnesota? What's that? <laughs> Lee. All right, we have, we, have a, we have someone famous here. Growing up in Brainerd area, some people could go like Al and Ron Linder. 
Uh, Babe Winkleman. I got, by the way, if you want some Babe Winkleman stories, I'll tell you that later after the service. I used to work a little bit uh, with him when I was in high school. Nonetheless. Uh, so, anyways, you have these names and these titles that associate someone with the greatness of it. So, when you say, this is kind of a Hebrew expression, when we say that God is the Father of mercies, what this is referring to is this, that God is really the author or the source of all mercies. Uh, praise God from all blessings flow, for example, or all mercies flow. And God is a gracious God. I like what James 1.17 says. It's a familiar verse. Every good and perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, in whom is no variables, no sh- neither shadow of turning. So God is the one who gives mercy. It's, it's, he is the author, the beginner of it, the, the source of all mercies. We praise God for that. We also see here that he is the Father of mercies according to his nature. It's not so much that he just gives mercies, but he himself is merciful. That's his character. That's his nature of who he is. You see, our, our past life, you know, before we were saved, according to Ephesians chapter 2, that we were basically children of wrath. We were rebels. We were everything against God. Hebrew, Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5 say, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, where he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us or made us alive together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. So again, it's the, the, the mercies of God, uh, God who is merciful, has changed our life. And so when we think, how have we been affected by the mercies of God? The mercies here in the view, or the Father mercies, this includes everything from deliverance from the world, deliverance from sin, from Satan, to participate in his sonship, participate in his light, in his life. But the thing is this, the focus of his mercies is even more than that. And this stresses that the Father is characterized by mercy. You want to know what mercy looks like? You look to God. You want to know what mercy looks like? You look through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is mercy. The mercy of God, I I think it was uh, Charles Spurgeon I was reading earlier. I didn't write it down, so I'm quoting it kind of from a vague memory. So forgive me if I misquote it slightly. But nonetheless, he talks about that the mercies of God, it was by Jesus' death on the cross, yes, that mercy was given. But mercy was really, how we receive mercy was not so much at the cross as it was at the empty tomb. When you think about it, Christ could have died, yes, on the cross. But it was the empty tomb that showed us that God is merciful, giving us new life for all. Because he rose again, we shall rise also. Talk about his great mercy where he loved us. Praise God for that. God is the mercy according to his own nature. We also see that God is the father of mercies according to his own action. This is how God operates. His mercies here, when we think, well, what exactly does mercies mean in this? And this is kind of where we get a little bit of a definition here. His mercies here are really, uh, the way it's described here in this passage is that mercies are an expression of a father's compassion or pity on us. This is an expression of the Father's compassion or His pity on us. As the psalmist says, Psalm 103, 13 says, Like a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear Him. God is a compassionate God, and by His mercies, He acts upon us. Because why? He cares for us. I think sometimes people, again, their view of God is maybe their view, through the lens of how they view their earthly father, and maybe that wasn't always a pleasant experience. We understand that. But no matter what you have experienced in life, we can rest assured that God is merciful. He's compassionate. 
God cares for you. He cares so deeply for his own. He loves you as a father should, and he does. And this is something, again, we can rest well. His presence will bring that assurance, that care and comfort that we desperately need in our life. So my challenge is this, from that concept that God is the father of mercies. He's not only the one who, who gives mercies freely, but he is himself merciful. How then, if we believe that, how do we put feet to our faith? So here's the thing. As we have received God's mercy, and if you're here today, I pray you today are a child of God, that you can honestly say that God is my Father. You understand this, that the way we have that relationship is through His Son, Jesus Christ, God fully God, man fully man. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. By the way, on Wednesday night, we're starting a new series. I invite you to come Wednesday night. We're doing a series now on the I am's of, of uh, Jesus found in the book of John. And we looked at here last week that God, or Jesus, is the eternal. He never had a beginning. Jesus, even though we celebrate his birthday and Christmas, you know, really, Jesus is eternal. He never had a birthday. He'll never have an end. Pretty amazing when we think about that. We can't really wrap our minds around it, but that's who he is. But in, in light of this, when we focus on Jesus, through him we have mercy. Why? Because Jesus, again, he died on the cross for your sins and for mine. He bled upon that cross, shed his blood for our sins, giving us that free hope of salvation for each and every one of us. And he calls to the world, he calls to you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. What a blessing that is when we know him. I pray today that you have that assurance that you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that your sins are forgiven, and that you're on your way to heaven. I pray you have that. If you have questions about that, don't leave today without knowing the truth of what God has done for you and freely accept his free gift of salvation. What a tremendous blessing that is. So, again, how do we put feet to our faith now? We have received God's mercy as you are saved. So then, if you receive that, we are urged to do two things. Number one, we are to present our bodies to God as an act of worship. We actually covered this a few weeks ago in Romans chapter 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. This is, and the reasonable service has the idea, it's an act of worship. And so as, again, you have received God's mercy, putting feet to our feet means what? We present ourselves to God as an act of worship. God, use me. God, make me your vessel. God, use me an instrument of your mercy to others. And with that, the second thing we do by putting feet to our faith is we present ourselves to others as a service to God. In uh, Luke chapter 6, which uh, that, that section there, that chapter, is Luke's uh, writing of the Lord's Prayer. And in that, uh, he says this in Luke 6.36, Be therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Again, as you have received God's mercy, we should be merciful to others. We should have that care and compassion, that concern, that pity upon others. This is something, because why? That's God. As his children, we should model our Father. Okay? Very important. We see then, so we talked now about the Father of mercies. We've been singing this song this month, Wonderful, Merciful Savior. Praise God, we have a merciful Father. We also see here that our Father is the God of all comfort. In verse 3, it says here, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. You know, it's from his mercies, his outflow of his mercies is his comfort. 
The outflow of God's mercy is his comfort. That's what he gives us. And God's comfort is given to us by, by who? Not a boy, a who? This, through the Holy Spirit. In fact, uh, John refers to him as the comforter. John chapter 14 through 16, for example. And the idea here is this, of, of all comfort, or you could also say of every comfort. In other words, God doesn't leave a stone unturned when he cares for his own. When you think about that, the, uh, our earthly fathers are limited. I love my father so much, and he did his best to care for us and help us provide for our needs in ways that I never even realized until maybe years later, okay? And then we probably have all had a similar experience in some way like that. But nonetheless, the, God doesn't leave a stone unturned in his care for you as his child. Talk about a wonderful, merciful father that we have. And that's an outflow of his mercy. We praise God for that. So the meaning here behind comfort we say that God is the God of all comfort. What do we mean? The meaning behind comfort in the New Testament is more than a simple calming sense. When we think of comfort, you know, what were we thinking? Usually someone giving us a hug, kind of reassuring us, making us warm and cozy is the idea. It's a nurturing idea. And so, but the idea here is a little bit more than that. It's more than just a calming sense. It has the idea of strengthening, helping, or making strong. And when you think of that, isn't that what a father should be? One who doesn't just come, is one of strengthening, helping, and making strong. It's interesting that comfort is from the Latin word uh, confortis, and it basically means being brave together. Being brave together. And as you rest in the mercies of God and you experience the comfort that he gives, doesn't that help us through the Holy Spirit to be brave together? Isn't that amazing when you think of that, how God does that? When you think that's exactly what a father should be. And I want to challenge our dads here today and the men in the church to be men of God and to be exactly that, be merciful to one another and be comforting in a way where we're not just doting on our kids, for example, but even so that we have an intentional idea of strengthening our children and our grandchildren, helping them and making them stronger to be brave together. Like I said, especially in our culture right now, we need men to step up who were not afraid to be exactly that men and men of God who seek to honor God with their life. And that's not a show of force. We're not saying what dad can be the strongest or the mightiest. We're saying what's, what, can be the, what can be the man, what will be look like who is a strong influence on his child that they can be brave together to face the hostile world that we are in and glorify God in that together. I tell you what, that speaks to me. <laughs> That's stepping on my toes. But it's a challenge that we should every one of us to do. Now, as we think about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul is opening his letter here. And Paul here, when he writes here, he is writing to a church that has dealt with different issues. There's been false teachers that have come in. They themselves in the Corinthian church have faced affliction and tribulation. And Paul here is, in, as he's writing, is urging... He urges all sorrowing and troubled hearts to find strength in God. To find strength in God. I don't care where you are in life, especially in the Christian life, but I'm sure you have faced problems and troubles in your life. We, we all do. And we say, yeah, we're all human. You know, the ungodly and the godly all face that. But especially as children of God, I think in a sense that Satan does try to get a target on us. He tries to dissuade us. He tries to discourage us. Tries to distract us from what is most important in following God. 
But what he is, Paul is writing here, he's trying to uh, challenge the believers in Corinth who are suffering, who are sorrowing, have troubled hearts, that they would find strength in God. And we find that in the God of all comfort and the Father of mercies. You see that God in every aspect of his being is full of strength and comfort and help for us. That's who God is. That's, that's who he is. That's every aspect of his being. In this, we see that the comfort of God, as we've received it, is a blessing. It's a tremendous blessing to receive the comfort of God to make us stronger, to help us and assist us. And with that, remember this, that when God gives you a blessing, there's a duty attached to that. In other words, God doesn't give you a blessing and then you simply put it in your pocket. And The thing is, God gives you a blessing for you to be a blessing. You are blessed to be a blessing. That's the, that's the, that's the, the gist of this passage right here. You are blessed to be a blessing to others, to help others, to be an influence in someone's life. This is the idea. Did you know, again, that each and every one of us are leaders? You are. Because why? A leader is one who carries influence over another person. People are watching us, whether it be at your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your own family, and even here at the church, wherever it may be. Each and every one of us are leaders in that way. It's not a position, but it's, it's character. Is what it is. And so each and every one of us, as we are giving a blessing of God, his mercy and comfort, we, with that, is attached to duty. Okay? So here's the point of it. As we have been encouraged, helped, assisted, and comforted, we must also show comfort to others. I love what uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the famous uh, German preacher who, again, he uh, was killed at Flossenburg by the Nazis back during World War II. He says this, that once a man has truly experienced the mercy of God in his life, he will henceforth aspire only to serve. Think about that. Let me read that one more time. Again, Bonhoeffer says, Once a man has truly experienced the mercy of God in his life, he will then, or henceforth, aspire only to serve. So in other words, service. Being others focused. In other words, you don't keep God's blessings in your pockets. You give it. As God has given you, you give to God, and you do by serving others. Pretty, pretty amazing. So here's the thing. As we think about this, as we abide in God's mercies and comfort, we then can endure the sufferings for Christ. So one thing about it, we have some men in our church right now that are going through some suffering. They're in the hospital right now. we got Pat Healy who's having his procedure done today. Uh, we, we sympathize with them. We pray for that. But also, when we suffer, this is talking more specifically about suffering for Christ, suffering for the name of Christ. Uh, as I was thinking of that, I was thinking, well, one person came to my mind and could not forget him. And this is, the, I want to share the example of John Bunyan. How many have ever heard the, word, the name John Bunyan? Not Paul Bunyan, all right? <laughs> He's up in Brainerd, all right? Uh, but John Bunyan, you might know him better as being the author of Pilgrim's Progress. Outside of the Bible, Pilgrim's Progress is the most widely uh, read book in, uh, or sold book, I should say, in the English language. So as you think about John Bunyan, he was a preacher in uh, Bedford in, uh, in, the, in England and back in the 1600s. And uh, he was actually in prison because he did not have a license under the Church of England. And so he actually spent a total of 12 years of being in jail in the Bedford prisons. During that time, during his imprisonment, that John Bunyan, he actually had four children by his first wife who died. Her name was Mary. And um, 
Anyway, she died, and then uh, he later remarried and had two additional children. So John Bunyan uh, had, was a father to six children. One thing that interested me in looking at the life of John Bunyan is how he interacted with his children. This is what impressed me. During his imprisonment, uh, early on in his imprisonment, Bunyan's oldest child, her name was Mary. She, at this time in the story, she was 12 years of age, and she was blind. They found out uh, within a year after she was born that she was blind. And so she was simply known as Blind Mary, okay, named after her mother, okay? But she was blind. But Blind Mary came faithfully to visit her father. In fact, she knew the route by heart, even though she was blind. She came faithfully to visit her father, bringing him soup in a brown jug, okay? It was soup, by the way, all right? In a brown jug, all right? So anyways, brought that. And then they would also work together by making shoelaces. And they would make the shoelaces, they would sell it, and that's how they would support the family. Uh, even though meager means, that's how they would do it, okay? It's interesting, though, that uh, John Bunyan and his daughter, Mary, especially, had a very close relationship. He always worried about her making sure that she was safe and cared for. Even though he was in jail, he would, uh, he would do that. But it was actually in the spring of 1663 that Mary became ill and died. And she, she was actually the only child of, of John Bunyan that died before her father. Uh, before her father did. But anyways, when Bunyan heard of her passing in his prison cell, he then began outlining a book called The Resurrection of the Dead. And I uh, actually read a little bit of the excerpt of that last night. You can find it online. But there he starts writing on the hope that we have of the resurrection. He writes that right after his daughter Mary had died. That, so his bond was, I would say, an eternal bond with her. This, is pro- this was probably his first book that he wrote. This is well before he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. But he wrote this first book by giving many blessings to readers can experience even today in reading his writings. You see, his bond with his children was very strong. But here's the point, I think, of, of John Bunyan and his story with his children. That the comfort and mercy of God that Bunyan received while he was in prison served as a testimony of comfort and mercy to his children, to his family, And yes, even to countless others today. You see here, God gave John Bunyan mercy abundantly. He gave grace and comfort abundantly. And as he he received that, he gave that blessing to others. He imparted that to his children. And then now to generations, about 400 years later now, we are still reaping the blessings of the comfort and mercy of God through the life of John Bunyan. That's why I said earlier that the blessings that you have received, you are meant to use that to be a blessing to others. You are blessed to be a blessing, to give a blessing. And that's exactly what John Bunyan did. And that we are eternally grateful. I can't wait to go to heaven and see him. Shake his hand, but I'm sure there's going to be a long line, okay? But praise God for his thing, for his faith. As we look at that then, how then can we, again, put feet to faith? We talked about God being the Father of mercies and now the God of all comfort. And if we believe that, that God is truly a comforting God who makes us stronger together, how then, by believing that, can we put feet to our faith? Here's a couple quotes here from Charles Spurgeon. Uh, about this and kind of writing uh, about this passage here. He writes here that the balances between suffering and consolation or comfort are revealed in the light of glory. Trials make more room for God's comfort. Great hearts can only be made by great trials. Look with me back in the passage that we have. We're in verse 3, but I want us to read verses 4 and 5 now. God, the God of all comfort, comfort us, us in all our tribulation 
that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. That's, again, you're blessed to be a blessing. Verse 5, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. So as we see here, the point of this passage is this, that the trials and tribulations and the sufferings that you go, go through, they actually, when you think about it, make more room for God's comfort. In other words, when you think about the balances that, that Spurgeon refers to here, we think of how great a trial or suffering you may be going through, but when you look at the mercies and the comfort of God, it can't compete. It can't compete in that. And so this, I love what Spurgeon says here, great hearts can only be made by great trials. By experiencing the mercies and the comfort of God, we grow stronger in that. And that's what, something that Paul is saying. This is my testimony. This is why I've experienced my sufferings, and I know God can do the same thing in your life. Spurgeon goes on to say, Another great truth of great trials is that they bring us closer to God. When our lives are full, there's no need for God. I'm satisfied. I'm good. I've had too many people over the years who say, you know, I've talked to them, witnessed them, whatever, and said, how's, how's things with God? Oh, we're good. Got everything we need. You know, do you need to go to church? No, I'll, I'll go to church when I'm ready. I'm good. I got everything I need. That person may be full of themselves, but they're not full of God. Okay? Here's the thing. We desperately need God and his mercies and comfort. Whether you realize it or not, you're here for a purpose because we all, I don't care who you are and what your background, what you've happened this morning, but we all are in desperate need for the mercies and comfort of God. Thank God for that miraculous gift. So again, we grow closer to God through the trials. When our lives are full, there's no need of God. But when we cry from our hearts and the depths of our souls, we are drawn closer to the God of all comfort and the Father of mercies. He closes this uh, section in his writing by saying this, Beloved, do not fret over your heavy trials, for they are messengers of the weighty mercies of God. You think of the comfort and the trials you may be going through even for the cause of Christ. But I've seen over and over that they are simply messengers of the weighty mercy of God. Let me share you one little story. A um, friend of ours in Tennessee, his name is Jeff, a dear friend of ours, our family. And this is some years ago now, but he was working for a very big company in Chattanooga, actually in the Tennessee Valley. And uh, he was, uh, at times, he would have conversations with his, his co-workers. And he would bring things about God and just try to, in a way, witness as he could. Um, and he wasn't being pushy by any means. I know the guy. He, he's a very gentle man that way. But anyways, one of his co-workers, I guess whatever he said, got under his skin and he reported to, to management. And they basically came and told him, you cannot talk about God or the Bible or you know, whatever you want to say. You can't talk about God here at this place anymore. And what do you do? And so he faced religious persecution. Okay, He wasn't trying to be pushy. And I know in workplaces you've got to respect that. And I encourage you to respect your employers. Okay, Redo that and be a testimony for that. But also be a light that shines brightly for God. You know what? He had a hard time with that. But you know what I saw in Jeff's life, our friend, that God, through those next couple weeks, that God gave him tremendous mercies where he actually, about a year later, was given a big raise in promotion. Why? Because he consistently lived out what he believed. He wanted to be a blessing as he was blessed. He received the comfort and mercies of God as he trusted in God. Even though he was told, no, you can't do this, guess what? God turned that into his favor. Does that happen all the time? No. Think about those who have been martyred for the sake of Christ. What mercies did they receive? <laughs> the riches of heaven. 
Put in perspective. What we are doing here, we are salt and light for the glory of God. By the way, and I've said this before, that, you know, in the Christian life, guess what? There's no such thing as a secular job for a Christian. You are salt and light no matter where you are for the glory of God. Let's do that as an example. A couple closing thoughts here. When we think of this, I love the last verse of the song we sing, Wonderful, Merciful Savior. Almighty, infinite Father. <laughs> that was not a, that's, that was, fits well today. Faithfully loving your own. Here in our weakness you find us, falling before your throne. That should be our reaction when we look at the greatness of our God, the God, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, that we should fall before his throne and praise him in doing exactly that. You see, the Father of mercies is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And as we mentioned earlier, every one of us is in great need of the mercies of God. As we have then received his mercies, and I trust you have today. I trust you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and your Lord. I pray you know that. You have that assurance. As we have received his mercy, we have then received the comfort of his presence. God is there. And knowing that our Father is with us assures us that we have a a Father who cares deeply for us. God cares for you. He does. This is great encouragement for our earthly fathers as we care for our children, our grandchildren, those around us. And my challenge again for fathers on this Father's Day, let us as dads model the mercies of God. And then as dads, let us share the comfort of God that we have received. Let us do that. By the way, you don't have to be a dad to experience the mercies and comfort of God. But being his Father's Day, I'm pointing you out. Okay. Pointing me out too. All right. But all of us can, can model that. All of us can share that. So fathers and everyone else, let us lead by example and fall on the mercies of God. May we pour out of our lives the comfort that we have received into others. May our hearts and our souls cry out and be drawn ever closer to our great God. And may we praise Him and bless Him for who He is, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And with that, I like what the song is. I think we sang it here a week ago. Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Praise God for that, for his comfort.